Any of you uh, seen the? I'm not sure if it's the. I'm not sure if it's a Netflix series, but it's called Designated Survivor. You heard of that one? Anyway, I, I think it's a few years old. Anyway, what happens in this series? And my wife just told me about it, so I haven't really watched much of it. <clears throat> but it's a great illustration for what we're looking at today. Uh, in, in Designated Survivor, there's there's like a list of people that are slated to be if anything happens to the president or the Congress or anything, that there's a list of people who will then jump up, like in in a time of warfare or something like that. So what happens is that there's an attack on Washington, pretty much everything is wiped out, and this like junior staff guy ends up being president of the United States. And they're like, and nobody thinks he can do the job, of course, because he's just sort of some junior staff guy, but he rises up into it. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting premise. You know, what if you were suddenly thrown into a position of leadership that you felt horribly unprepared for? Emma's just laughing at me. <laughs> Pregnancy counseling center. <laughs> but, but, but sometimes that happens, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when I went to music school and I went to seminary to become a seminary Bible teaching professor. I had no intention of ever being a lead pastor, ever. Here we are 10 years later. God has other ideas sometimes and he equips us for the job that he has for us. And that's what we're gonna kind of hone in on today. We're we're looking at 1 Kings chapter two because this is a transition from Elijah to Elisha. Now, if we go back in the story, we go back to about First uh, Kings. It's actually supposed to be Second Kings, but that's okay. We're going to change that later. Second uh, <laughs> Kings uh, chapter two uh, is on. Uh, that's that's the text we're actually in. But if we go back to First Kings chapter nineteen, you have the the story of first Elijah has just won the great victory in Mount Carmel, right? Like against the prophets of Baal. And then he runs for his life because Jezebel's out to get him. And so he ends up out in the wilderness and he's kind of on his way. He's hiding, basically. And uh, he's kind of burnt out from the whole thing, so God gives him a snack and a nap. And sometimes that's the most important thing you need. You know, when things are going bad, just have a snack, take a nap, and maybe things will be better. Well, it took a couple of those and then God kind of talks with them and says, you know, Elijah, you know, I know you think you're the only one in the world that's dealing with this, but I got 7,000. Don't worry. Like, there's more people out there that are faithful to the call. You're not alone, Elijah. And then Elijah comes back, and, 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 and in this conversation, he tells him, you got to go to this place. I can't remember right now. Uh, but go here. You'll find Elisha. You need to appoint him as your successor. He will be the one to, to take over for you. So he goes and he finds Elisha, and Elisha's like, okay, yeah, I'll follow you. And he slaughters the oxen that he is plowing with. He hacks up the plow. It's a no-turning-back moment for Elisha. And he follows Elijah. Now, we have no record. During the whole time that he is with Elijah, we don't really have... Elisha's just following along and learning by watching, similar to the disciples, right? I mean, Jesus sends them out on a few little forays and they come back, didn't report to Jesus, but we don't really get any 
Not a lot of details. Well, Elisha, we don't have any details on that. His ministry comes after Elijah. And so there's a succession here. I mean, there's a number of things we could look at in this passage. I mean, some of the, I, I wrote down, here's some unanswerable questions. Why does God take Elijah? Why does Elijah not experience death? There's no real reason for it. It just happens. And remember in James chapter 5 that, that James tells us Elijah was a man just like us. But he prayed and he followed the Lord. He was under sin, he was deserving of death, but he is one of two in Scripture that do not. Elijah's age, he just kind of shows up. We don't know how long, how long he served. We don't know how long he lived. We don't know how old he was when God called him. We don't know Elisha's age either, which is interesting because in the book of Kings, we're often given the age of the kings. But noticeably, the, that's absent when it comes to prophets. Elijah just shows up. God calls him, God empowers him, God equips him for ministry, and then he hands it off to Elisha, and that's what we're reading today. Let's, uh, let's stand as we just read this uh, passage together. Well, we haven't done this for a while. Stand as we read the word of the Lord. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the waters parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I should do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked for a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? 
And, he, and when he had struck the water, the waters parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to look at three things here today. We're going to look at the faithfulness of Elisha to the call, the power for the call, and being equipped for the call. So the first thing, faithful to the call. You notice there was a bit of a repeated pattern going on the first bit? <laughs> it repeated the same thing over and over, three times. Three times Elijah said, Elisha, wait here, God sent me here. And he says, no, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Now, obviously, Elisha knows something's up. And Elijah knows something's up. Do you know that this day your master will be taken from you? Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Yes, I know. Both of them know this is the day where they will be parted. Most of us don't know that time. We hardly ever know that time. These guys knew it. Elisha was called to follow Elijah, and he followed him to the very end. Faithfulness involves remaining true to your calling, to our calling. Elisha was called to be a disciple of Elijah and to eventually take his place, so he refused to leave his mentor's side. He was faithful to his calling, even though they were walking toward the valley of the shadow. Not of death, <laughs> but it would be a transition. And Elisha remains faithful and obedient to what God has called him to do as a follower of Elijah. And he sticks with him. He sticks with him even when it gets right down to the very end. The same question is asked of Jesus' disciples in John chapter 6 at a very difficult moment in Jesus' teaching. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too because everybody else is abandoning me at this point? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We will stick with you, regardless of the fact that everybody else is abandoning you. Elijah's case, regardless of the fact that everybody's telling me Elijah's gone on this day, that this is the last time I'm going to see him. Regardless of that, I'm going I'm to walk with him to the very end. Elisha followed Elijah on a long journey. He refused to leave his side. He was faithful to his mentor and ultimately to God. And through this, God reveals that he has chosen the right man for the job to take up the mantle of being the prophet in Israel and Judah. And as they journey on, more signs are going to be revealed. When we get through this repetition and What's significant about this movement from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to the Jordan, and then the crossing of the Jordan? What's, why, why be so precise about where they're walking and where they're traveling? They're kind of doing the beginning of, uh, not Judges, the one before, Joshua, backwards. 
and they crossed the Jordan at a place where God demonstrated his power and where God cemented forever the role of Joshua to lead the people to succeed Moses. And so that transition happens at the crossing of the Jordan and that miracle at the beginning of the book of Joshua. Then all Israel will know that you're the successor to Moses and that they should follow you. And the same kind of thing is happening here. Notice there's 50 witnesses. 50 of the sons of the prophets are standing at a distance and they're watching them cross the Jordan. And Elijah has the power through God to divide the waters. And they see this happen. And then Elisha and Elijah exit the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan. Kind of like the people of Israel before they crossed over the Jordan. And before Joshua was then their leader. And so this is a significant moment in a very significant place. Sometimes places hold meaning for us. What's, if you think about your life and your journey, what's a significant moment that transitioned you spiritually? That, that, that maybe transitioned the direction of your life? I mean, there's, I can think of a number of different moments in my life, and some of them happened up at the camp here. Some of them happened around that campfire on a Thursday or Friday night. Some of them happened right in Tim and Elner's house. I remember my cousin, Alan, asking me about taking this musical passion that I had and redirecting it a little bit and the wrestling with God in that and the decisions I made around that. And it really did change the trajectory of my life. Sometimes we have places, markers that are spiritually significant for us. I was thinking, you know, what, what other places are like maybe really significant markers for me? And, and there's one place in Fort Langley, it's right at the end of our, the driveway of our house there. It was a significant moment for me because that was the moment where one day I was walking home from school and uh, was just coming into the driveway when a guy in a little, I think it was a, a Toyota Corolla 1970-something, and this was about 1980, he came up and said, hey, kid, you want a ride? I'm like, I'm like home. I'm like, no. And so I ran inside. I think I told my mom at the time, and we had to phone it in because that was the time Clifford Olson was active in the Lower Mainland. And that was the day I met him. Because when they finally caught him and I saw the picture, I went, ah, I believe that's the guy that tried to pick me up. So that, every time I pass that driveway going through Fort Langley, there's a memory. You have memories of places. You go to a place and you just know there was a moment that something happened that God led, that God directed, that God provided for you. Sometimes we have to go back to those places to remember what God has done. Sometimes that's going to a place like that or going up to the camp, though it's not the same as it was in the 80s, so it doesn't have the same... Most of the cabins are gone. They tried to burn one down this summer. <laughs> but go back to those marker places from time to time. Remember in the Bible, you know, God, when they first crossed the Jordan, they stopped and 
before the waters of the Jordan came back, Joshua was instructed, send one man from each of the tribes, get them to pick up a stone from the middle of the river and build a rock pile here. And you get this in the historical books, build a rock pile, build a rock pile. Why? Because you need to remember what God has done. You need to set up those pillars and those markers and those moments. Remember those places. And go back to them. And maybe it's going back to, to a cemetery and seeing the marker on a headstone to remember what God did through a person in your life. Well, Elijah and Elisha cross through the power that God gives Elijah for his call. And it's not transitioned yet. God brings them to the edge of the Jordan River, a place remembered for a display of God's power to provide for his people and to affirm Joshua as chosen leader. And Elijah, then in the pattern of Joshua and Moses, strikes the water so that it parts for Elijah and him to pass through. But the power of the miracle is not from Elijah, but from God, the creator and the sustainer. Elijah again demonstrates one last time that he was the man of God's choosing, empowered by God, and crosses the Jordan as witnesses watch from afar. But now the time has come for Elijah to be taken away and for his successor to be empowered for the role as a prophet in Israel. Charles Spurgeon says, Unless the Lord endows us with power, from on high, our labor must be in vain and our hopes must end in disappointment. Even as we're thinking about fall ministry this year and you know, different things starting up in different ways, we want to be active in ministry for the, for, uh, the, you know, the growth of our, our, our people, uh, our, ourselves, and the, to reach our community. Except the Lord endows us with power, our labor must be in vain and our hopes end in disappointment. There must be power for the call that God has on us, and that is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He equips us for the call. Point three. Elijah says, Elijah says what shall I do for you? For I am about to be taken from you. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Well, what's this about? Is Elisha asking for more than what Elijah had? Hey, you're, you're pretty powerful. You got a good beat on God. I want more. I, I need more than that. I'm, I need twice as much. It's not quite what he's getting at here. See, if Elisha to was, is to succeed Elijah as the Lord's prophet, he knows he, he needs the Spirit of God to be with them. And the double portion isn't so that he has more than anybody else or more than the other prophets. The, the double portion is something that would be granted to the firstborn son in a family, not so that he could be, have more than everybody else, but because he had more responsibility than the rest of the family. He would now be responsible for the rest of the family, all his siblings, and he would... So he'd have authority over them, but he was also responsible for them. And so this double portion wasn't just for him alone, and you know, the rest of the brothers and sisters, you get like a little bit, and good luck with that. It was 
I now need to take care of everybody. And so Elisha is not just going to be a, a prophet in Israel, he is also going to be responsible for the family, for the sons of the prophets, and ultimately the nation of Israel. And so it is a marker not of privilege, but of authority and responsibility for the family. That's what the double portion really means. It's succession and it's transition. But Elisha realizes he needs the same presence and power of God that Elijah had. God equips his people with his spirit for his mission. And that's a central thing that's going on here and the thing we're going to take away from this today, that God equips his people with his spirit for his mission. His, three times. His people, his presence, his mission. That's what it's about. In the Gospel Project, we've been looking at some essential doctrines over this last year, and as we continue through this, and the one for this week, I want to read this twice. It's, it's fairly long, but it's entitled, The Mission of the Church. And you can pick up the Daily Discipleship Guide on your way out, and it'll have uh, some more stuff on this, and daily devotionals that kind of spring out of uh, today's message and out of this. But, but listen to this, the mission of the church. The church is a sign and an instrument of the kingdom of God, a people united by faith in the gospel announcement of the crucified and risen King Jesus. The mission of the church is to go into the world in the power of the Spirit and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith and demonstrating the truth and the power of the gospel by living under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God and the good of the world. Isn't that just the second part? The mission of the church is to go into the world in the power of the Spirit and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith, demonstrating the truth and the power of the gospel by living under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God and the good of the world. That's our mission. And the only way it happens is when the Holy Spirit empowers it. And so being equipped for the call doesn't mean going to school and getting a degree or having really good skills in this, that, and the other thing, though God uses those things the real crux is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter where you've been in life or what you've done. The fact is, is that, you know, this is one of our core doctrines as a church. It's in our statement of faith. When you come to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, he pours out his spirit into your life and he equips you for his mission. Everyone. It's not a spectator sport. Now, one of the things I've struggled with a lot over the years has been this, I'm kind of a content creator, right? And the church tends to be content consumers. And during the time when we were strictly online, I actually didn't feel I was doing anything different than I'm doing right now. And I really wondered about what we were doing. Because am I just creating content for you to consume? 
hit the like button, and then go on with your lives? Or are we here for something bigger? The Holy Spirit indwells your life. Romans chapter 8, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong. The Spirit gifts everybody in the body to work for the purposes of God. We'll talk a bit about this more next week. But the reality is, is we all have a part to play. We all have different gifts according to how the Spirit has gifted us. And as we use those gifts, we'll encourage one another, we'll build one another up, and we'll see the kingdom of God come in power because the body is working as it should. And it's not just a couple people. It's all of us together. Because we have been given the Holy Spirit, we fulfill the mission that Christ has given to us to share the gospel with the world, knowing that, in our, that our strength only comes from him. And so a couple questions as we wrap up today. We don't always understand God's plan, his purposes, or his timing. We also can't see all that he is doing, and this can sometimes cause doubt in us. Yet the Lord is wise in his sovereignty. He is patient, and he's always on time. He is faithful and loving towards us, even when the diagnosis seems grim, the relationships seem to be fading or broken, and the job seems like it's just drudgery, or that there is no hope on the other side of what we're going through. In these moments, we have an opportunity to walk faithfully in obedience to God. And thankfully, we serve a God who knows all things and holds everything together. So right now, is there an area of your life where you're struggling to believe that God has a plan? And then just ask yourself this question, what is the next faithful step for me to take? Just one. What's the one thing I need to do next? That's the first question. What is the next faithful step you should take? And how God has wired you, gifted you, and called you to serve his purposes. Second question has to do with our hearts. God's power can really seem foreign to us. We don't, I don't get to pick up Uncle Tim's fishing rod and catch Walter today. You know, that's what he, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. I don't get to pick up Elijah's cloak and hit the water and part the river. God's power can seem so foreign to us. We don't see rivers part. We don't see fire fall from heaven as Elijah and Elisha did. We don't see rods turn into snakes. And, and sometimes we can minimize God's power without even realizing we're doing it. We are tempted to think God doesn't work the way he used to, that he has changed somehow. And there's a danger in this kind of thinking because it leads us to start viewing God as less than powerful and he can't do anything to change what's going on in our world. He's just going to let it burn. Really? James tells me God's the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change his shifting shadows. Our God has the power to raise the dead, 
to change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, to crush addiction and lust and hatred with the power of the Spirit in the gospel. But he does it in his own way, in his own timing, and with his all-knowing wisdom for his ultimate glory. Because it's not about us, it's about his glory. It's not about me getting the life I want, it's about him being glorified. It's not answering prayer so that I get what I want, it's him answering prayer because it's in his will for his glory and the exaltation of his son. So the question, how should knowing that God is just as powerful today as he was in Elijah's day, James tells us, Elijah was a man just like us. So pray in faith. How should knowing that God is just as powerful today as he was in Elijah's day change the way I pray and that I speak and that I act? He's just as powerful today. Last question. The Spirit of God is the most magnificent gift you have been given in your lifetime. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Some of us are good at condemning ourselves over and over and over again for stuff in the past, but the truth is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Godly sorrow leads to repentance with no regrets. Imagine living a life with no regrets. It's right there in the gospel. Jesus paid it all. Stop trying to pay for it yourself. That's what regret does, and that's what holding on to grudges does. That's me saying, I have to pay. I still have to pay for that mistake. I still have to pay for that. And over and over, I try to do it over and over again. And as Jesus is like, hey, it's finished. If you could just let go of that, walk in forgiveness and walk in the freedom I've already bought for you on the cross, you can't outdo me in grace. I'm sorry. I died for you. The Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. It's the most magnificent gift you've ever been given. And yet we live as if it's just kind of some add-on idea somewhere in the back of our minds. Learn to meditate on this massive reality The Spirit of God is the most magnificent gift you've ever been given in your life. And so we can have all the confidence in the world to proclaim the good news about Jesus to those who don't know him. You don't know how they're going to respond, and they may not like what you say, and they may reject you, but that's okay, because that's them, not you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus to life and empowered Elijah and Elisha to do miracles is living in you. Even if someone hates you for sharing the gospel, you still have the comfort of the Holy Spirit and he will give you all that you need. Jesus is always with us because his spirit is always with us and that is the greatest comfort and power we need. 
Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Acts chapter 1, 8, you will receive power from on high and then you will proclaim my gospel to the four corners of the world. And that's what we need to rest in. So who will you share the gospel with this week, knowing that you have the power and the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit with you? Well, Elijah was taken up into heaven, and Elisha takes up the mantle, and he strikes the water, and he comes back. And as we continue to read on in the story, we'll see that Elisha's ministry mirrors in many ways the ministry of Elijah And it continues on. And Elisha hands over the mantle of prophet to Israel to lead his people back to him. Jesus, after being raised from the dead, said, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And Luke starts off, the second part of his account with these words, Theophilus, in my former book, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and to say until the day he was taken up into heaven. That was just the start. The last 2,000 years has been the story continued. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact the startling reality, the mind-boggling truth that is in your word that those who have surrendered to you are empowered with your spirit, that your spirit lives in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. As Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, oh, I pray that you would know this power because it's the power that's already there. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to drum it up. It's not yours to control even. It's yours to just embrace because it's already already yours. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Therefore, continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Continue to live a life of surrender to his lordship. Continue to bow the knee to King Jesus. Continue to allow him to poke into areas of your life you would rather he avoid so that he can bring his healing, his conviction, his restoration, and his power to bear. And Lord, for some of us, our deepest wounds are going to be our greatest sources of ministry. Because as Paul said in Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians, we despaired even of life. We were beaten down, crushed, but we didn't give up. And the Holy Spirit of God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Lord, in whatever brokenness you need to heal in us, we don't seek that for its own end. We need that. We need to be restored to being fully human before you. But then we need to go and love others as you have loved us. 
to reach out to those who are untouchables in our society and touch them. To lift up the downtrodden and those who are, quote, caught in adultery is in John chapter 8 and just say, hey, I'm not going to condemn you. Let's work on changing some life things, but no condemnation. Neither do I condemn you. Oh Lord, would you work that in us? So that when we see people down and out and stuck in sin and bad life choices, we don't walk around with pride but brokenness and compassion. Lord, thank you that you empower us, you change us, so that your work will be done in this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work you're doing. Change us more and more every day into the image of your Son. Help us to live as Jesus lived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.